This is Valor Radio. Valor, strength of mind and spirit that enables a person to face danger with resolve and determination in battle or in any other situation. Valor, like that displayed by veterans of every branch of the military throughout our community. This radio show, Valor Radio, salutes all of you who have raised your right hands to volunteer to protect and preserve our unique American way of life. Thanks for joining us and your brothers and sisters in uniform. When liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right. I'm out here on the front lines, sleep in peace tonight, American soldier. Now, Valor Radio. Well, hello. We welcome you once again, soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, guardians. And at the end of the uh, procession here, we're going to put Coast Guard, our Coasties, uh, because we're going to have a special emphasis on the Coast Guard today. Uh, We have uh, uh, Captain Steve Amano in here. Uh, We do not have the colonel again this week. What's he doing? He's in Saratoga or something? Uh, He got tasked with something important, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. I think. As opposed to doing Well, there's a racetrack out there, isn't there? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's a real privilege to fill in for Paul. But, uh, you know, when when I do, I, I tend to, uh, you know, to make the, the show a little bit more blue than green, which is okay. Cause <laughs> We've we, noticed that. We haven't, we haven't really talked much about the Coast Guard, but I want to talk a little bit about them and do a little trivia. So. Yeah, I think it kind of short shrift on this program. That's unfortunate. Yeah. We don't want that. No, we don't want that. Okay, but I'm going to begin with... Um, uh, I, I read an article earlier this week that was very disturbing, and um, and I'm, it's becoming it's making the rounds, as they say. Uh, it's talking about the Marine Corps and and how capable they are of answering the nine one one call uh, in the future. If something crap hits the fan, how how well can the Marine Corps respond to the that? Fabled three a.m. call that Hillary was telling us about. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, um, apparently, according to two retired. Marine generals of very um, important uh, stature, the Marine Corps is not very capable of responding. And that that is a disturbing what? sign. According to James, General James Conway, who was the former commandant of the Marine Corps and was the first um, Marine Expeditionary Force commander in Iraq, and General Anthony Zinni, who was U.S. CENTCOM and the Somalia Task Force uh, commander when he was uh, on, on active duty. These are both pretty much icons in the Marine Corps, especially mm-hmm. Zinni. And the U.S. Congress and the American people, they're saying, are not being told the truth about uh, the, the readiness of the Marine Corps. And uh, in their uh, estimation, they're no longer able to respond to global crises quickly and effectively or at all. In their opinion, and that that's a shocking revelation. More woke social consciousness. That's what that's what the I think that that's what they're implying. They don't come out and say it, but I think they're they're basically going down that road. Um, it began to present itself about a year ago, back in February of twenty two, when the Marines were first unable to meet a U.S. Central or I'm sorry, U.S. European Command request to surge a MU, um, a, a Marine Expeditionary Unit which is a force of about 2,200 specially trained Marines and, and sailors embarked on amphib ships. 
And they were, they were supposed to go to the Mediterranean at the time in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but they were unable to meet that requirement. And um, the, la- the lack of a forward deployed mute in the European theater weakens NATO's deterrence considerably. So they just didn't deploy? Just didn't deploy. They, they, they we're said, not ready. Sorry, we, we, we can't do it. And that's not something that the Marines are, are accustomed to saying. So you get a busy signal from the Marines? What? I, well, does that ever happen in our I, his, I, you history? Know, that's or? a good question. I don't even. I don't know when the last time that ever happened, because the Marines are, are to a fault, will tell you. You know, we can do more with less. Well, eventually, if you if you keep on saying you can do more with less, you will get less, and that's what's going on in the Marine Corps now. They they don't have enough money for bullets in the Marine Corps, and they, they every year if you ever see the Marine Corps budget. It's it's pretty paltry, and for what they do, and it's um, kind of sad because well, what, we, with these military appropriations, these massive things that are coming out of massive. out of out of the budgets, how can this be? Because the Marine Corps, it's almost like a, a cultural thing in the Marine Corps to complain about not having enough. It's like the whole embrace the suck thing, and you know, I mean, I, I don't I don't wish to make make it trivialize it at all, but. The Marine Corps uh, is proud of the fact that it does more with less. But in this environment, um, if you don't, um, if you don't uh, squeal, uh, you're not going to get the grease. Right. And, and also, you don't want your mantra to be, we don't need as much. No. Uh, because things continually cost and, and more. Their and their tasking level is increasing every year. There's no conflict that we ever get into where we don't send the Marines first. So... About a year later, after this uh, t- February 22 episode, um, the Marines were unable to send a large disaster relief force to Turkey after a major earthquake. Uh, they were only able to send a small detachment of 34 Marines. And that's, um, that's something that we're not accustomed to seeing as well. And then two months after that occurred, the Marines stood by as U.S. Special Operations Forces evacuated U.S. citizens from our embassy in Khartoum, Sudan. And uh, NEOs, n- n- non uh, um, uh, evacuation operations of uh, uh, um, U.S. citizens, uh, non combatants, uh, th- th- that's bread and butter stuff for the Marine Corps. That's, that's what they do. And for them to not be able to do that is, um, is really uh, kind of reveals the weakness of the, the service at this point. And that's because of the aforementioned uh, redirection of resources or reduction of resources or whatever. And so you got this, this study. So what are their conclusions? What, what do they say needs to be done or don't they? Well, I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. But, but what their, I, their report was basically to, to uh, call attention to what's happening, to kind of shine a light on it. Um, um, it, it was a pretty lengthy article, um, uh, and people can find it if you just uh, you know query General Conway and General Zinni, um condition of the Marine Corps, and uh, it'll tell you in, in great detail. They have uh, other ideas about how to fix it, but um, these are not ideas that are co- are popular. Um, you know they, what they're doing is they're spending the money on other things that are not important in the Marine Corps, and the the important things are are getting left by the the side of the road, unfortunately. Um, the, 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 the thing with the um, embassy in Khartoum was they left 16,000 Americans to fend for themselves. Oh, my which is Which is not how the U.S. protects its people overseas. Again? In a After Afghanistan, we've done it again? They did it again. 
And once again, there was no uh, Mar- Marine Expeditionary Unit afloat or ashore to respond to the urgent requirements of the regional military commanders. And that's what the Marines uh, are, are best at, is uh, responding quickly. And in this case, they weren't able to do it. That's three, three circumstances. And in all three cases, the Marine leadership cited the same reason for no forward deployed Marines, the lack of available amphibious sea lift. It all comes down to ships. That's why, they, you know, we always bust on the Marine Corps. You know, we always say, well, you know, they are a department of the Navy. And then they'll say, yeah, the men's department. Well, <laughs> but the, but the, the, the seal of capability, the ability to move them by ship is critical. Without it, the Marines are, are just, you know, they, they don't have a role. To so play. Where, where are the ships? Navy. Well, in, uh, what's, what's going, I, I just want to, uh, before we get into the seal of thing, yeah. um, I want to just add to the chaos. In 21 yeah. and 22, the Marines also ended rotational deployments of three forward-deployed special-purpose MAGTAFs. This is a big deal. Marine Air Ground Task Forces uh, were uh, f- uh, focused on crisis response missions in AFRICOM, U.S. AFRICOM, African Command, U.S. Southern Command, and U.S. Central Command. In order for timely, effective global response, the Marines require several things. Okay, they require the ability to forward deploy. That means sea lift. The ability to preposition their supplies for rapid movement. Uh, access to a combined arms force capable of providing humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, and the capability to conduct uh, major combat operations at the same time. Those are the things they require to do this. Unfortunately, the Marines and the Navy have dramatically reduced the requirement for amphib ships. They've emasculated our maritime prepositioning force, and they've dangerously crippled the combined uh, arms capabilities of the traditional Marine Air Ground Task Force. Uh, because of leftist influence within the military. Well, they're, they're putting money into a lot of different things that, you know, there's a lot of social stuff that's going yeah, on in the Marine Corps. I, I, I suspect it is. Millions of dollars, billions of dollars is going to that. All right, well, we're going to go to a break here. We'll be back with more with uh, Captain Steve Romano with his somewhat distressing message about the Marines. More to come here on Valor Radio. Paul Simonelli on assignment again this week. We'll be back. Church bells were ringing on the Sunday we met. Heaven, heaven was smiling. Your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. 
colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all. And our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. Join Abatement Row County, American bikers aimed toward education and help adult bikers ride free and safe. Check out our meetings on the third Friday monthly at Wise Guys Diner and Catering, 2811 Dewey Avenue. Join Abate for less than 50 cents a week. Google Abate Monroe County on the web. Hey, how about becoming a member of the National Warplane Museum in Geneseo, New York? Help us preserve history. Plus, you get some pretty fancy benefits. Visit us online, nationalwarplanemuseum.com. From Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks and from Canada to Pennsylvania, you're listening to Valor Radio. I told you about strawberry and we are back in here with a little cut from the White Album. Here on Valor Radio, Paul Simonelli is elsewhere this week. Uh, we have Captain Steve Mono very capably uh, sitting in the air chair. And uh, let's continue with the woes of the Marines these days. Well, you know, it goes back for years um, in the planning stages. Back in 2009, the Chief of Naval Operations and the uh, Commandant of the Marine Corps, in conjunction with the Secretary of the Navy reached agreement on the future size of the amphibious fleet. Now, this is, you know, this is bedrock to getting the Marines where they have to go. And they sat down, and they, you know, and they designed what they were going to need for the future to deliver Marines and to, to accomplish the mission. They came out with the number, 38, 38 ships. And within a couple years, that number started to change. By 2010, that number went down to 28 ships. What? And by 2023... It's back up again to 31, not 38, but 31. Now, this significantly impacts the Marines' ability to deploy reaction squadrons in the Mediterranean in particular and in the Indo-Pacific. Now, just four years ago, this is according to Conway and Zinni, General Zinni, in 2019, the Marine Corps was the world's premier expeditionary combined arms force capable of answering any task assigned to them. So four years ago, it was anytime, anywhere, Marine Corps, hua, or hoorah, okay? But here's the reality of where the Marine Corps is today. And I, I, I'm sorry to say this to my Marine Corps brothers in arms and sisters. Today in 2023, the Marine Corps has cut 21% of its personnel from its infantry battalions. Think about that. That's their bread and butter. Is this a recruiting-related issue? Do you think? No, they're meeting the recruit. They're the only service meeting the recruiting. Oh, goals. they are. They're the only one. Barely. They only. They met the recruiting goals by. I think in one in one situation by like less than half a dozen people. They did barely meet their goals. But no, it's not a matter of recruitment. They could they could fill the, the gaps if they had to. But what they're doing is getting rid of. They're reprioritizing, and they're doing it in a horrible way, in, including. They're getting rid of. They got rid of all their armored units. Which, if you talk to a marine, the, the, they shook. They all shake their heads and they say, "No marine tanks. You're going to rely on the army to give the marine uh, marines their uh, armored support." Well, let's stop there for just a quick second. I have heard. I can't tell you what the source was, but I've heard that tanks are kind of a 
antiquated form of warfare? Is that uh, is that true? Uh, don't tell that to Paul. No, I know. Well, see, but <laughs> well, hey, you know, hey, Paul, you know, like I, uh, yeah. when the cat's away. I got to tell you, tank's just a bad idea. I just, <laughs> I, if you ever know about some of these weapons that they have to to breach tanks and and that's what I'm saying. They're they're vulnerable and they're kind of not, slow. Not, and, not not pleasant. I mean, they're yeah. yeah. Well, but you know something? It's still a, a measure of effectiveness of. Um, well, they're using them in, in Ukraine. Look at how important they are in Ukraine. And getting blown up a lot, too, getting, I noticed. A lot of them burning right now, yeah. Um, the other thing they're getting rid of is uh, bridging units, which are like uh, combat engineers. So, uh, I, I mean, you're gonna, what are they going to do, rely on the CBs to get them where they're going to go? Um, I hope not. Um, they've taken away 67% of what they call direct support cannon artillery. So you're not going to have like division, like a uh, 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 organic Marine Corps artillery. You're not. You're going to rely on the on the army or, or, or naval gunfire for your. For I mean, this is crazy. I, I think it's crazy. And I'm, they're 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 pulling all the teeth out of the Marines. Yeah, and this one this one's re- really near and dear to my heart. Thirty percent of tactical Marine Corps aviation they've cut. Thirty percent, almost a third. Of the of the uh, aviation uh, elements have been have gone by the boards. Is this more leftist wishful thinking kind of philosophy that's permeating the military now? Well, you know, if we don't have the hardware, we'll have peace. You know, that kind of foggy thinking. I, I don't. Uh, boy, I hope not. If that's Man, where we're at, we're in big trouble. This sounds like something that could be designed by John Kerry. You know, I mean, <laughs> it well, does. Well, certainly one of the, the really biggest does. adults who's ever walked uh, the planet. Well, you know, you know, you, you you got look at the people who are on the armed services committee these days, and I I have to wonder, um, are we are we shooting ourselves in the foot? According to these generals, we sure are. Um, the other thing that they're doing is um, they're they're uh, cutting their um, organic logistical support, um, which and and these are all things that the Marine Corps used to do for themselves that made them self sufficient and, and independent in in the field. And now they're going to be relying on other services to do it. It reminds me kind of of um, there's a famous story from World War II about General Holland M. Smith um, and a guy named Ralph Smith. He was a general of the Army, the 27th Division. They had a fight, a, a literal fight, on the island of uh, Saipan during the uh, that invasion. Uh, Smith was pissed off because he, th- he thought that his Marines were dying at larger numbers because they were in, in the fight and the 27th Division was sitting it out. And he was like, get, you know, General Smith, get off your rear end and, and get in there and fight the Japanese. And apparently Smith didn't move fast enough. And literally he went to his, his uh, headquarters and he grabbed the guy by the lapels and said, you get your ass out there. <laughs> And I mean, people saw this. It was uh, an ugly incident. It still lives in infamy in the army. And and uh, General Ralph Smith is it was considered persona non grata for a long time because he let the Marines push him around. So I mean, you don't want to see stuff like that happen in the field. You really don't. Now um, Conway and Zinni say uh, the Marine leadership is being disingenuous. That's a nice term that they're using for them. They're saying essentially they're lying when they tell the Congress and the American people that the Marines are fully capable of responding to contingencies all over the world. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. So the top brass in the uh, USMC is uh, lying. Is 
they're incompetence? No. Or they're liars? They're not, they're not they're, incompetent. Why they're, are they lying? Why, why, I, why aren't they going to Congress and say, hey, hey, we need more resources? We need, they, I don't know. I, there's something. It's like the pod people. Something's going on in the water in, 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 in Arlington that these guys are drinking it and they're, they're, they're going over to the other side or something. I don't like what's going on with the Marine Corps right now. When the Marine, I mean, the Marine Corps was the the vanguard, the last line of defense, and all of a sudden we're seeing cracks in that. And Zinni, I mean, for these guys to call attention to their own leadership um, is um, admirable, but at the same time, it's quite quite shocking. And finally, the the statement that they made was, "quote The Navy Marine Corps team is now a shell." of the capacity that served our maritime nation so effectively for almost 250 years. It's that, just a shell. A shell. Are these guys, these guys who are, are blowing the whistle on this, are they getting any traction at all? Is anybody in Congress well, paying just, attention it, to them? It, I don't know because it just it came brand, out. This is brand it, new. It's just, it just came out. So it's, it's, this is like a week old. Um, but once this, the word gets out, and th- these guys have a lot of uh, cachet in the community. General Zinni is considered... Um, kind of a godfather to, to a lot of Marines. Um, I, and, and I, when I was stationed in, in D.C., he used to do a lot of uh, teaching at the uh, War College at, at, Fort Mc, at Fort McNair and uh, the, the uh, courses up there, uh, to, always to general officers. So Zinni is, is considered a role model for a lot of generals in other services. Elder statesman yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. He's a pretty, pretty impressive fellow. And now where is this being uh, published again, Captain? This is this is coming uh, out in the in the media somewhere. It came, it came out in a letter. Um, I, I don't I don't have the. It, it was released to some it. some. But form. it's it's all over the place. If you query it, okay. it online, Conway Zinni, uh, condition of the Marine Corps, it, it will come up and um, and you can read all about. It. It's a very lengthy article. Well, These thank guys, God it's gotten it's getting some light. Thank God it's. Well, that's it, another thing that really bothered me was how come no one else is talking about it. Well, yet. I, I mean, now we're talking about the, the the lamestream media, and I just you know I could go on for the rest of the show about them. Yeah, they're they're not they're not interested in the news anymore. They're interested in ideology, right? And pushing that ideology. You go into any newsroom and talk to people. I mean, there is you know like ninety ninety percent of them are registered Democrats. There you go, and they're and they're committed to all the crazy woke stuff and environmental stuff. Well, and, it's the same know. thing that's going on with China right now. China. We're not getting the full story on what's going on with China, and uh, we can't get the, our own government to, to to fess up to what what's being done about China. Now, which goes into my second item here, which is about security concerns over a recent land purchase out near Travis Air Force Base in California, a company called Flannery Associates, which no one can vouch for. Apparently, uh, apparently, no one really knows. What the company's about, where their money comes from, it hasn't been investigated yet. They purchased a billion dollars worth of farmland, a billion, with some 52,000 acres adjacent to Travis, which is the home of the Air Mobility Command, the transport and air refueling wings of the Air Force, and uh, a major supply source for Ukraine, by the way, and uh, home to some 2,100 military and civilian personnel. Um this a critical command and control site. U.S. Air Force has intel there. Um, there's an air operations center. The area also where they intend to um, take this land is at the confluence of the San Joaquin and Sacramento River Valleys as well. And that's the breadbasket of the country and the source of half the water in California. 
Um, and this comes on the heels of that big land purchase that the Chinese did up in Grand Forks, uh, Nebraska, at the Air Force Base up there, which is an ICBM site and a B-52 base. And this whole Chinese spy balloon thing. So, um, you know, there's a lot of concern right now because China is buying up land all over the place. They they already own $2 billion worth of farmland in the U.S., 383,000 acres. And uh, they own the biggest pork processing uh, company in America, Smithfield Foods. And uh, the, the Congress uh, has a, a, a way of looking into these things. They have a committee to investigate foreign influence. But apparently they're not doing a whole hell of a lot. So here we go again. Your tax dollars not at work. Captain Steve Mano with us uh, here on Valor Radio this week. Uh, Paul's on assignment. And we've got more to come. Don't go away. Listening to Valor Radio with Colonel Paul Simonelli. We are back in here on Valor Radio with Colonel, excuse me, Captain, <laughs> force of habit, folks. Uh, Captain Steve Amano is uh, in the air chair. Go ahead. And the reason why we're playing this song. I'll get to it in a second. One of the reasons is because I love the song. And uh, number two is when I was a kid, like eight years old, this is like 1969, they used to play this song. I don't know if anybody remembers it. Let me know if you, any of you guys are out there remember this. But the Coast Guard used to use this song to recruit women for the SPAR program. And I, I you know, I, I should have written it down because I, I never remember what SPAR stood for but anybody out there remembers please uh feel free to send send me something at my facebook account because uh the spar program was actually one time it was a pretty important program for the for women in the service and uh they use that one for the uh in the uh commercials for the spars so i always love that who knew who knew edison lighthouse there you go you know, I, um, the other thing we did, I did was um, before I left the house this morning, I knew what uh, day the uh, broadcast was going to go out, which was tomorrow, the twelfth of July. We record so, this on the eleventh, yeah, right? Yeah, so I, I said, you know, just for the hell of it, I wonder, you know, because we're always talking about World War II and trying to salute the folks who fell in, in, in the war. I wonder how many uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines uh, died on this date in World War II. And it turned out to be half a dozen. So I want to just highlight a few of them, if I can, or all sure, of them. Sure, we have time. Absolutely. I'll go through them as quickly as I can. But uh, the first one is um, Tech 4, Gordon M. Bailey, United States Army, an infantryman, 29 years old. He was with 31st Infantry Regiment, 12th Infantry Division, which was a Philippine division. Um, the, the They were also known as the America's Foreign Legion because they never served in the continental U.S., which I didn't know. Um, he died of non-battle 
uh, injuries um, on 12 July 42 in the Philippines uh, and was listed as missing since May of 42 at the fall of Corregidor. Now, um, when as soon as I read that, I thought, ah, Batan Death March. So, yeah, we did lose people during the Bintan Death March. They didn't die of, uh, from being killed in action. They died at the hands of the Japanese, unfortunately. Um, his mother and sister lived at 607 South Washington Street in East Rochester, and he's buried in the American C- uh, Cemetery of uh, the Philippines in Manila. Second Lieutenant William Herbert Briggs II, United States Army, was 23 years old. He was with the 440th. Anti-Aircraft Artillery Automatic Weapons Battalion, Mobile. He was killed 12 July 1943 in Sicily, the son of a Navy Cross recipient from World War I. He attended Princeton University and Mechanics Institute in Rochester. His parents lived at 52 Main Street South in Pittsford, and he's buried at Sicily, Rome, American Cemetery in Natuno, Italy. Mechanics now, Institute. Yeah, mechanic. That's the, pre, the predecessor, I think, of RIT. Okay, I, I believe it is. If if I'm wrong, please correct me, folks. Um, but this incident on the 12th of July of, of 43. As soon as I looked at, it, I said, "Hmm, friendly fire." There was a notorious friendly fire incident involving the Navy. The Navy uh, ended up bringing. Uh, um, Coastal artillery down on the or uh, batteries down on these guys who oh, were uh, wow. who had just who had just landed with the uh, a lot of the airborne guys and a lot of the other guys who were already on the ground got killed by uh, naval gunfire unfortunately um, and he was one of them. There's also another one coming up that, uh, that that died the same way it looks like. The third person is motor machinist mate second class Robert E Hoffman U.S. Navy Reserve, 22 years old, a submariner. He was with the USS Golet, which is SS-361, a diesel submarine. He, uh, there was a finding of death in 18 January 46 because he went missing on the 12th of July 44 in the Pacific Ocean. He failed to return to Midway Island from a submarine patrol on, off of Honshu Island, Japan, most likely because they were sunk by a, a depth charge. The body was never recovered. And uh, he's listed on the uh, ABMC tablets at Honolulu, uh, um, Hawaii. A graduate of Ben Franklin High School. His parents lived at 163 Lux Street in Rochester, and he was posthumously awarded the Purple Heart. PFC Edward L. Hoyt, U.S. Army, was 26 years old. He was with Company D, 105th Infantry Regiment, 27th ID. That's the, the uh, Fred Smith's outfit on Saipan. He was killed in action 12 July 44 on Saipan, Marianas Islands, reported um, by the Hilton Record as being the first Parma casualty of World War I, uh, II. His parents lived at 5596 Ridge Road in Spencerport, and he's buried at Garland Cemetery in Clarkson, uh, New York, uh, and was posthumously awarded the Purple Heart. PFC Michael A. Oriel, U.S. Army, was an infantryman, 24 years old. He was uh, with Company B, 180th uh, Infantry Regiment, 45th Infantry Division, Killed in action, again, 12 July, 43, in Sicily. Again, this is the friendly fire incident, I believe. Same incident. Yeah, same incident. Son of a Jew, of Jewish immigrants from Turkey, he lived with his parents at 35 Buchan Park, Rochester. He was buried at, buried at Britain Road Cemetery, Beth Israel Plot, 
and was awarded the Purple Heart posthumously. And finally, uh, Second Lieutenant William F. Munsinger, U.S. Army Air Corps, uh, was 24 years old. He was a navigator. He was killed in action 12 July 43 in the vicinity of New Guinea, uh, New Guinea, and he lived at 291 Culver Road and is the younger brother of First Lieutenant John S. Munsinger, who was uh, massacred at uh, Bognes Crossing in Malmody, Belgium. Oh, my gosh. So he yeah. lost, lost two boys. He lost two boys. And he's buried next to his brother in, in one uh, family in Long Island National Cemetery. Isn't that something? Oh my gosh! It just goes to show you, folks, that um, there's just um, you just never know. Uh, you know the the uh, the uh, um, the level of sacrifice. Level of sacrifice is just the, the World War II constantly amazes me with the scale of the fight and the the, the uh, um, just the the brutality of of the war over time. You know they. You know, we always compare what happened to America with what happened to other countries. You know, we, we, the Russians kind of scoff at us because they lost millions and we lost four hundred and five thousand or whatever the number was. But um, um, you know, when you thought when you think about what happened to America during World War II and how our casualties um, accumulated over time, uh, it was a painful ordeal for the country, and uh, you can understand why a lot of. Uh, there was a lot of reluctance to get involved in Korea afterward because um, the country was just put through the ringer during the war. And uh, it looked like at the end that things were not getting any easier for us, at least in the Pacific. In, in, in campaigns like uh, Iwo Jima and Okinawa just seemed to get worse. We seemed to be losing. We did lose more people at the end than we lost at the beginning. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the losses were accelerating. Right. And, and I remember the speech that Truman made about his decision to, to use the atomic bomb. Right. About how I think the estimates were we're going to lose four hundred thousand, up to a million, four hundred thousand casualties. Yeah, yeah. And you know the thing is, um, they were uh, the projections were were extremely high, and the the people that were working on those contingency plans for Japan, including Casper Weinberger, who was a junior officer on MacArthur's staff, um, they were. Uh, you know they were prepared to lose a million uh, um, uh, uh, people because of the land invasion. Because of the land invasion, yeah. and if if we were going to lose, if, if, let's just say we were going to lose a hundred thousand, that, that's a lot of people. To you know, at the end of the war, and um, it could they, they were wondering if the war would stretch out into nineteen fifty. So that's how how bad the, the projections were. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy moly. Well, yeah, and, but of course it was it was necessary because of the because of the dire threat and the extent of the threat. From the Japanese and the Germans, and they and they fought at the end, um, you know, um, for their own survival, and uh, they fought to the last man. They never abandoned the uh, the whole philosophy of fighting to the end. Oh no, they, they, they would have they would have fought different, different than forever. Germany, yeah. different than Europe. Yeah, no question about it. It's a religious fervor. Right, it was. All right, more Valor Radio to come here on the WYSL stations. Captain Steve Mamano will be back. It was way past midnight And she still couldn't fall asleep This night the dream was leaving She tried so hard to keep 
your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. The colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all, and our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, things that we couldn't afford, thanks to Ventix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can give our veterans a special event where they, too, can create their own cherished memories. Visit VetTix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. You're listening to Valor Radio with Colonel Paul Simonelli. Actually, it's with uh, Captain Steve Amato. I'll let him tell you what this is. That great. I like that. It's a Coast Guard's got a, a good nice song. Tune. It does have a nice song. That is Semper Paratus. I don't know Latin, but uh, I think it means always ready or always prepared. That's that's what it means. Mm. Paratus. So, yeah, that, yeah. I, I, I just like that song. It's, it just gets you going in the morning. Okay. Now the, the a little bit about the Coast Guard. Just in, by, in, by way of introduction, it's almost as old as America. I think it was founded like 1790. So it's been around a long time. Um, used to be called the Revenue Service. Um, about today, and today it's about fifty-four thousand active and reserve sailors or coast guardsmen. Um, it's changed hands several times uh, um, under its, uh, you know, parent control or whatever you want to call it. Used to be under Treasury, then it was under Transportation Department. I think in nineteen sixty-seven. Uh, it, it changed, and then um, after nine eleven, it was moved to Homeland Security when that department was was stood up. So um, they are struggling apparently to recruit new members, just like every other service. Uh, you know, they, I was listening to their spiel from their um, one of their Coast Guard district uh, commanders talking about how increasing op tempo and less downtime. 
um, uh, makes it difficult for them to recharge. Well, <laughs> join the join the club, lady. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw, when I saw that, I thought, well, that's that's a unique uh, perspective, but um, it's it's what's going on. So uh, our our coast guardsmen are in our thoughts and prayers and in our hearts. We love you guys, and uh, just uh, as a little bit of a salute to you, fellas. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, Navy movie trivia with a special Coast Guard flavor, okay? So here we go. Question number one. As Hollywood families go, this one is regarded as solidly Coast Guard, with both father and son having served in the Coast Guard. Are they Alan Arkin and Adam Arkin, Kirk Douglas and Michael Douglas, Lloyd Bridges and Jeff Bridges, or Jim Hutton and Timothy Hutton? Take a Jim, guess. Jim Hutton and Timothy Hutton. That's a good guess, but it's wrong. But it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. The, the answer is Lloyd Bridges. And I. this is cool. Lloyd Bridges served in the Coast Guard during World War II. Jeff Bridges served seven years in the Coast Guard. Really? From 1959 to 66. I didn't think he was that old. I didn't either. 1959. I thought then, he was like uh, my age. I, mean, I was nine years old in 1959. Yeah. Then Bo Bridges served in the Coast Guard for eight years. That's, oh, wow. Apparently, they just love those guys. They, they used to show up before the old man died. They used to show up at Coast Guard events, and they would just like you know treat them like royalty. Well, they should. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I thought wow, that was pretty that's cool. fantastic. Now, Bo's younger than... than um, um, Lo- uh, Jeff is younger than Bo. Jeff is younger than Bo. Correct, yeah. All right, all, right. all right, question two. This actor, whose movie and TV career spanned seven decades, served as a commissioned officer in the Coast Guard during World War II. Originally a vaudeville dancer, his big break in movies came in the 1936 film Born to Dance. Three years later, he was chosen to play the part of the Scarecrow in Victor Fleming's The Wizard of Oz, but at the last minute he was switched to play the role of the Tin Man. However, he became violently ill during the production from the aluminum dust in the makeup and was replaced by Jack Haley Jr. Who was he? You know this answer. I don't. You don't? I don't know the answer to this. I'm, it's Buddy Epson. Buddy Epson? Buddy Epson. Wow. Born Christian Ludolf Epson Jr., two, April 1908 in Belleville, Illinois. His um, he, he immortalized two iconic roles in television as Jed Clampett mm-hmm. of the Beverly Hillbillies, right. well, Doggy, from nineteen sixty two to seventy one, nine years. Yeah, that's amazing. Hillbillies were around a while. Yeah, they were. And uh, as a private detective, Barnaby Jones from nineteen seventy three to nineteen eighty, a Quinn Martin production. <laughs> that's right. That's what it was. But yeah, he got sick. He got violently ill, and they had to replace him with Jack Haley. Oh yeah, they were. They were. Uh, Hollywood was not shy about plastering all kinds of toxic. Oh, they did stuff and, on him. And you know, he, he claimed the rest of his life he had respiratory problems from that that toxic dust. He actually died of respiratory failure, but he died. He was ninety five years old when he died. So. <laughs> It didn't hurt him that much. By the way, um, uh, while he was serving as damage control officer aboard USS Pocatello, he married fellow Lieutenant Nancy Wolcott, and the marriage lasted 39 years. Isn't that cool? That's cool. All right. Now, question three. Which of the following PGA golf legends served in the Coast Guard after World War II, specifically as the flag yeoman for Commander Coast Guard 9th District? Was it Ben Hogan? Arnold Palmer, Sam Sneed, or Jack Nicholas? Mm, going with Sam Sneed. No. It was 
It was Arnold See, Palmer. I'm really good at this. Uh, Arnold Palmer. Isn't that, I, I would never have known. I, I don't think of Arnold Palmer with a, a jumper on. But he, he worked for, as a yeoman for Rear Admiral Roy L. Rainey, U.S. Coast Guard, 9th District. I thought that was kind of cool. Now what's a yeoman? Tell us what that uh, is. It's a, an administration. It's a, like a, a, sh, uh, a clerk. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, question four. Each of the following radio and TV film stars served in the Coast Guard during World War II, but only one went from apprentice seaman to chief bosun's mate. That's as high as you can go, chief. I would have no idea about this, but it's going to be a... a- just a blatant guess. Well, I did this just to mention who was in the Coast Guard. It's yeah. pretty cool. Sid Caesar was in the Coast Guard. Uh-huh. Alan Hale Jr. Remember the SS Minnow? Sure. Okay. He was in the Coast Guard. He's uh, the, the captain. Cesar Romero was in the Coast Guard. No kidding. Uh, the, the, the Joker, okay? William Hopper. Remember from uh, Perry Mason? Mm-hmm. Remember he was Paul Drake? Okay. Okay. And Rudy Valley was in the Coast Guard. You know what he did? He was in charge of the band. which he's That's a band stands to reason. Yeah. But anyway, uh, which one of those um, went from apprentice seaman to chief boatswain's mate? Said Caesar, Alan Hale, Caesar Romero, William Hopper, Rudy Valley. Rudy Valley. Mm, I'm going to go with Sid Caesar. No. <laughs> You're close, though. Caesar Romero. Okay. All right. <laughs> he was a chief boatswain's mate. He enlisted uh, um, October of 42, served in the Pacific. He saw action in Tinian uh, aboard the assault um, uh, transport, uh, USS Cavalier, Tinian and Saipan. So he's a pretty salty veteran, and uh, I saw pictures of him in uniform. It looked like he was enjoying himself. But anyway. Well, you know, another thing, another take-home from all of this is the the pervasiveness of military service in in American society. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, really. In the 1950s, I mean, everybody had family members. Who had served right in the war? They called it. Well, there was nobody that was off limits, which was beautiful because they all expected you. I mean, when Lou Ayers got a lot of flack because he was a legitimate conscientious objector and he was a big star, but he was one of the few guys who got away with not going because he would have gotten all kinds of heat for for for, for not going. Oh yeah, but he, yeah, he did. You're definitely looked down on. How, how much time I got? Uh, three minutes. I was just going to okay. give you the, uh, okay, the, I'll, count, the I'll, countdown. I'll be quick. Um, a bonus question. One of the one of the few very very few Hollywood movies about the Coast Guard is the 1958 Norman Torog film Onion Head from Warner Brothers. As the story goes, young Al Woods from Oklahoma, played by Andy Griffith, joins the Coast Guard after Pearl Harbor and gets assigned to a buoy tender out of Boston. This is really good Hollywood stuff, isn't it? Buoy tender, USS Perry. Periwinkle. Uh, when, uh, when he reports to the ship, he gets uh, assigned as ship's cook, even though he has no cooking experience. Um, he gets a lot of hostility at the time from the ship's cook, uh, Red Wildo, played by uh, Walter Matthau. I think it's one of the first movies he made, who has a really bad attitude and an obsession with cinnamon rolls. In the scene where Woods tells Red he's now working for, in his kitchen, Red launches an object across the room in disgust. What was it? Was it a cinnamon roll, a ladle, a dirty apron, or a coffee mug? Coffee mug. Beautiful. Bingo. I got and you know what one. it was? It was, yeah. a, it was a watchman's mug. Uh, yeah. I have one of those. And you could have killed somebody with that Thank thing. Uh, it is very heavy. All right. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's it, a killer. And in the time I got left, I just want to give a shout out to my mom, Mrs. Adelheid 
Charlotte Elfrida Mamano, or Heidi, as, as everyone calls her, who turns 97 this weekend. Let's sing happy birthday to Heidi. Happy birthday to you. Heidi. Happy birthday to Heidi. Heidi. Happy birthday, dear mom. We love you. Yeah, we love you. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, she's a force of nature, my mom. She survived Hitler, the Red Army, the Royal Air Force, and the 8th Air Force. And raising you. And raising me, which was not easy. Um, she's slowed down a bit lately, which kidney failure will do that to you, but she still lights up a room, uh, every time she, she's in it. So happy birthday to you, And God bless you for taking such good care of her, too. Well, if you ever knew her, you, 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 you couldn't do anything less. So Ma, I love you and I'm thinking about you and, uh, you're the best. All right. Well, thanks so much. Hey, good job there, uh, Captain. Thank you. Good job. Thank you, Paul. And thanks uh, wherever you are. Thanks for you listeners out there uh, checking us out. Uh, be sure to get the uh, podcast on the all new WISL1040.com. Brand new website. Be sure to visit that. We'll see you next week on Valor Radio. Be a lover to their mother. Everything to everyone. Up and at them bright and early. I'm all business in my suit. Yeah, I'm dressed up for success. From my head down to my boots. I don't do it for the money There's bills that I can't pay I don't do it for the glory I just do it anyway Providing for our futures My responsibility